We'll get it on in a minute. There we go. Number 392, we're marching to Zion. Let's stand as we sing. Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweeter, join in a song with sweeter, and thus around the throne, and thus around the throne. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching up Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. And of the heavenly King, but children of the heavenly may speak their joys abroad, may speak their joys. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Now the last verse. Then let our songs abound and every tear be dry. We're marching through Emmanuel's breath. We're marching through Emmanuel's breath. To fairer worlds on high. To fairer worlds on high. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. Be seated for just a moment. Turn over to number 585. Number 585. When upon life's billows you are tempest tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one count your many blessings see what God hath done verse number three when you look at others with their lungs and gold think that Christ has promised you is what one told count your many blessings many can Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. Let's stand together as we sing the last. So amid the conflict with Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort you to you. 
Ushers, you come. Count your blessings, name them one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. All right, good. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful tonight for the ways that you take care of us, the way that you bless our church and our worship time. I pray that you'll bless this time of offering and to be with Pastor Daniel as he comes in just a few moments to bring the message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. of the International Mission Board. And at this point, what I want to do more than anything else is to say thank you to my Kentucky Baptist family. Uh, thank you for helping to raise me. Thank you for educating me. Uh, thank you for molding me and shaping me as a leader. Uh, thank you for supporting me and following me. Thank you for praying for me and my family. Thank you for all that you have invested in uh, me as uh, your executive director, before that a pastor in this state, different opportunities that the Lord has given me to serve with our KBC over the years, and every one of them has helped to make me who I am today, and I want to thank you. I love our Kentucky Baptist Convention, and I love the privilege that I've had of serving you and walking with you and seeing God do great things uh, through the cooperative mission work of our churches. Uh, one of the things that helped me make the transition from serving as a local church pastor in one of our KBC churches uh, to my role as executive director of the Kentucky Baptist Convention was the knowledge that I would continue to serve that church in a new role and to serve all of our churches across this state. I'm holding on to that right now. As I move on to be your International Mission Board President, I want you to know that I will go as a Kentucky Baptist, and I will go to serve Kentucky Baptists. As you extend your reach to the nations to see that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is declared to every people group and every man and woman, boy and girl has the opportunity to know and love our Savior. 
I'm privileged and honored to serve on your behalf. Honored to serve your missionaries who you continue to support around the world. And again, thank you. That is Paul Chitwood. I don't know if you heard, very heard the very beginning part, but he was, those first few seconds there, he was saying that he had just gotten voted in as the new president of the IMB. And he's our, he was our current uh, KBC executive director. So, um, you know, he has served, he's been here in Kentucky serving as pastor as well as executive director for decades. So now he's going to be moving to Richmond. I think he's already on the job. I saw online that he's certainly uh, uh, serving up there. So, um, uh, we're, I, I wanted to see, he made that little video to show it and say thank you for all the, all the Kentucky Baptists here um, uh, just recently. That um, Pull out, if you have your bulletin insert, you need to flip it over to the other side. If you, um, or if you hopefully you grabbed it or you brought it from this morning. God's plan in pain. And my parents are here tonight and they were in a lot of pain because it's so cold here. In fact, this after, we, left here at, uh, we left our house to come to church about 4.55. And uh, I was in the car with my dad, my, and we were loading up. I didn't know it was going to happen. My mom was, uh, my Sherry and Belle were, um, they said they were going to go shopping. Well, now, this is it. You know, church starts in an hour. So um, Sherry informed me that when they got here, you know, I, my dad and I brought the four children, <coughs> dropped them off in a while and run wild. And um, Sherry comes in and says, Daniel, your mom went to a loft there and bought, bought a sweater and wore it out of the store. So you're so cold. So that's how it's like here in Lexington. So Sherry gave me permission, Mom, to say that. So she's told me, and that's how I got it. So, <coughs> But that is, you know, folks from Bama, it sure is cold up here. A lot of pain. But this is a message here that we're going to talk about God's plan for pain. And this is important because I want to tell you, this is something we wrestle with. And we're going to see the message. In your bulletin it says Luke 13. It should say Luke 14. So we're in Luke chapter 14. And we're going to look at three different sections here in Luke chapter 14. But I tell you, go ahead and put your finger there in Luke chapter 14, and then flip over to Job chapter 1. Because the old, the, the Job quite possibly could be the oldest book in the Bible. And he wrestled with this question, Job did. The truth is, we are going to experience hurt, pain, disappointment, letdowns, we, we will have goals that are way up here in a vision and a direction of what we want in life and what we hope. And the truth is, it will come in many times down here and people will disappoint you. You will have expectations, maybe for your sports teams. You'll have expectations for your family. And it just, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. And it hurts. A lot of times when we hear about pain, we might think of physical pain, but most pain is not necessarily physical. It's emotional pain. You're just hurt. You have been let down by someone and you're hurting. And that's what we're talking about tonight. And the goal is, <clears throat> we want to be able to end this message. And you want to be able to answer the question. It says, despite pain and disappointment, do you have a steadfast contentment in Jesus Christ? Even though you've been disappointed is your hope in the gospel, in the good news. Um, the truth is also, we live in a sinful, fallen world. That means bad things are going to happen. They are. Uh, ever since Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden tree, they weren't supposed to, 
um, there has been sin in this world. And on <clears throat> the second truth we see is on this side of heaven, before we get to heaven, we will not know and understand why some things happen. Bible doesn't tell us why it happened. We will never know. So a lot of times asking that question, God, why did you allow this? And fill out the blank. We, we don't know. Job answered this question. If you have, go ahead, turn to the book of Job. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. What happened here? Well, you all know the story of Job, but he gave two answers that are profound. When Job was questioned about why did something happen, look what he said. Look at verse 21. This is when all of a sudden, everything he owns is gone. His family's gone. Um, his children are gone. His animals are gone. His house is gone. He's lost it all. And then in verse 20, Job 1.20, after he loses everything, Job stood up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshipped. So he's worshiping. This isn't just a saying. He's worshiping why he says this. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He just said, hey, everything in the world I have came from the Lord, and if he wants to take it away, who am I to tell him no? So then we get to the next chapter, and Job got sick. He's probably got that. He probably got the sickest any possible human could get sick without possibly dying. God allowed Satan to inflict Job with sores and pain from the top of his head to the bottom of his foot, in agonizing pain. And then his wife came in and said, "Job, just look at you. Nobody even recognizes you anymore. You've lost it all. You lost your family." You've lost you. It's interesting. Satan allowed Job's wife not to uh, die. And I believe that first test, because he was going to use her, hey, I'll use her to um, suede Job negatively when he gets sick. So Job's wife comes in. This is in chapter 2, verse 9. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Do you know a lot of folks, they might not say that today in 2018, but they live that way. They just throw out their integrity and say, you know, my life is in a lot of pain and disappointment. I'm just going to do whatever I'm going to do. I don't care what happens. I don't care if I die. I don't care what folks think of me. I don't care what the consequences are. And that's essentially what Job's wife is saying. And look at what... Job said, verse 10, you speak as a foolish woman. He told her, should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And he, that question, should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Job is recognizing that everything, good and bad, ultimately comes and is allowed and permitted by God. The bad things, the painful things, the disappointing things that occur in our life were allowed because of God with that. Um, 
Pull out your Bible here. We already have it. Flip over Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, we're going to read, and really the first, the first story here is really the key one about tonight's message, because this is about a gentleman who is in pain. He's suffering from a disease called dropsy, which is the swelling of your arms and your legs. It's a fatal disease. It's something that is not good. A severe pain and hurt is what this man here He's swollen with fluid, the Bible says. And what's happening is the Jewish leaders looked at this man and his disease that he's been stricken with, and they said, well, that's clearly God's judgment on him. And Jesus is going to come along and correct them about that. So I want you to follow along in your Bible. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. One Sabbath, when he was... In to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees. So this is that's a Pharisee's home. They were watching him closely. So we're spying on Jesus. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. That in some of your Bibles use the word dropsy. This is a terrible disease, a painful disease to have. He's he's hurting. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So Jesus knows they're watching him. And we've got this horribly sickened man over here in the corner. And he wants to know, can I, can I heal somebody on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. That's interesting they kept silent. And the reason why is because they had heard that Jesus had already put all other folks to shame. When Jesus asks a question, you need to be careful because you're going to end up losing. That's, that was the standard. He took the man, healed the man, and sent him away. Probably, most likely, is word guide out that Jesus was at this Pharisee's home, so Jesus attracted a crowd. The sick, the lame, disease-ridden, everybody followed Jesus. So Jesus healed the guy on the Sabbath, on a Saturday. Verse 5, And he said to them, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? They could find no answer to these things. And what the point of what Jesus' message was, someone who is in need of a healing is more important. This is a rescue. This man is dying. He is suffering. He's in pain. That's more important than following the fifth commandment, which is the fourth commandment, which says you should honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Jesus was saying here, if I'm going to deliver and set someone free from their pain, that is more important. The deliverance of their soul and the pain they're suffering than following down to the letter of the law. The Pharisees did not do anything on the Sabbath. Nothing. And that's why Jesus said, hey, if your ox, if your donkey, if your son, if it falls into a well, do you just sit there and say, well, I'll pull you out tomorrow? I'll, I'll get you your help you need when the sun goes down? No, Jesus is saying you immediately do it. 
If someone has a heart attack, do we wait here and say, well, we don't want to do any work. We don't want to do any chest compressions until the Sabbath is over. I hope you make it until tomorrow morning or 12.01 a.m. No, Jesus is putting human need, the rescue of someone's soul, more important than the letter of the law. Pull out your white piece of paper here. Look at this. We're going to go through it on the board. The four facts to never forget about God's plan. This is for us tonight. God has a plan. Just as this man here who is suffering from dropsy, this swollen fluid disease, God had a plan for him. The ultimate blessing any believer can receive is Jesus Christ himself and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is the greatest blessing we can receive. Now, Many of, you, many of us here tonight, we're saved. We've been born again. We have Jesus Christ inside of our life. But the truth is, you've come to church and you're, you're still hurting. There's disappointments. And we have to remember God's plan. He's saying Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of you is more important. It's most important inside your soul. And it's easy for us, when you're hurting, when you've been disappointed, to redirect your priorities from Christ, I'm born again, child of God, to I, I'm in pain. I'm dying. I've got cancer. Number two, in this life, you can outrun, you cannot outrun the curse of sin. You cannot do it. Every single one of us is going to experience pain and problems. We have a great vision for what's going to happen, but the truth is, we are going to have disappointment and problems. Every single one of us. Churches are going to have problems. People are going to have problems. There's going to be pain. There's constantly someone you could be praying for. You could be an intercessor. Number four, or number three here, God's plan for your life should not look like the American dream. Our goal is not to have this ideal of here's what I want. God's plan for your life should be you daily waking up saying, Lord, I'm yours. Use me today. Not how much money can I make and what can I acquire? What things can I get? The American dream, this ideal, this idea of just, I won't, I won't, I won't, it robs us from the joy of Christ. Number four, <coughs> there are times, listen to this, you know, this is one of the hardest things for us, for God's plan for our life, especially dealing with pain. There's times you must step forward with confidence and uncertainty. If you're hurting, if you've, been, if you've been let down, we have to take the same hope that Job has. Should we not accept both the good and the bad from the Lord? Is not the God the God of good and adversity? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. God is not going to give us the answer to everything we want. What I mean by that is we, even as a church, we paint a picture. Well, if, put it for a context for our church. <clears throat> Ron came and shared this morning. We had this idea, this plan, this person we were going to go. We're in the process of uh, uh, accepting resumes and names of a contemporary worship slash college minister. So 
you lay out this perfect plan. You've got a candidate, everything lines up, and you think, all right, here we go. We're going to sell the ship, and here are the dates. Bam, 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 bam. And then all of a sudden, whoa, they pull out. What happened, God? All of a sudden, it was a break that occurred. And this grand plan, this vision that you had, that I had even, it's, it's now <laughs> went away. You go back to square one again. Here we are again. And there's this sense that now, does God st still have a plan and purpose for that for our church? Absolutely. It just wasn't the, wasn't the person. We still have great confidence in the Lord. But there is some uncertainty. Anything you're doing for the Lord, there will be uncertainty. We take confidence in the Word of God. We know. We stand on this Bible. We know Paul Chitwood, right down the street here, well, now he's down over there in um, Virginia, there's a sense for him of great uncertainty. He's been here in Kentucky for nearly his whole life. Now he's in a completely new job of even greater responsibility. He's not over just one little state's missions force. He's over the whole world mission force of the largest denomination in the U.S. And that's a huge responsibility this man has stepped into. There's a sense of uncertainty, but he has great confidence that if you're sharing the gospel, if you're advancing the kingdom, that God will bless those efforts. God is not your life coach. He's our Lord. And a, a coach, we're literally, we want that coach that tells us a play-by-play -play to every little detail. Where Jesus gave us a great commission and says, you just go out in the world and tell everybody and just watch what happens. We're constantly sowing the seed. Most of the seed did not land on good soil. Keep going here in your Bibles. Back to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 7. This is his teachings on humility. He told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. <coughs> Y'all can tell my family here, sitting on the front row, there's... You can tell their visitors, they don't know the best seats are actually on the back row in church. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the lowest place so that the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What Jesus is saying here is we should not be boasting about ourselves. We should not be braggarts who go around talking about how great we are. That when we walk in, you want the best seat, you want the spotlight on you, you literally say, this is me. You want pictures of you. And he's saying, no, you let other people. If someone's going to talk about how great you are, let it be anybody but you, is what Jesus is saying here. Let the Lord lift you up. He also said to the one who had invited him, verse 12, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back, and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, 
and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What Jesus Christ just told us is that you need to make sure everything you're doing doesn't have ulterior motives. This is the, biz- this is the entire business world today. If I do something for you, I expect something in return. Jesus is saying, you need to go do stuff for people that they actually can't repay you. There's no possible way. They don't have the resources. They don't have the money. You shouldn't even expect them to do anything. You shouldn't expect a thank you note. Because your reward is going to be in heaven. Let God be the one who rewards you. This is an incredible passage here that he's telling us we live in the most me-centered culture ever. And Jesus is saying, run from it. Don't get sucked into this. I saw something on Facebook. I won't say who posted it, but it was actually so true. This person here posted that there's a whole generation growing up today that doesn't know what it's like not to take a picture everywhere they go. (laughs) What I think about what I just said. This is absolutely true. If you have teenagers or grandchildren, maybe young adults even, what you do is you go somewhere, and what do you do? You start start taking a picture everywhere you go. Shoot video. And 30 years ago, that was unheard of. Who took a picture? You took pictures like the sunset or family portrait was Olin Mills. You didn't run around taking a picture of every and everything you see. Jesus is saying, run from that. We do not go around finding ourselves just becoming a braggart. And, it, and this, our culture today, church, it sucks us into this. It gives you that What you're doing is most important. What you're thinking is a priority. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Let God make you great. Let He make yourself a priority. Keep going here in your Bibles. Verse 15, this is the parable of the large banquet. This is a picture here of heaven. This is something it tells us for our church what heaven is going to be like and really a mission of what we do. So it's a parable. Remember, if something's a parable... Something's a parable, that means it's symbolic of something else. So Jesus is telling a story. Verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he told them, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, now the person here who's inviting everybody is God. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is ready now. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. And my, I, I teach the young adult Sunday school class, and we're working on a skit. We're going to debut our skit in three weeks on December 9th. Wayne Cowan's also working with our group, and we're doing Herod and the Three Wise Men. And we had to give out um, uh, our speaking lines to our class. And do you know how many volunteers I had for speaking lines? <clears throat> Zero. It's amazing. The excuses, we actually had to change the date of the play 
to, they, they all were going to be, at first we were going to do this the 16th, and they were all amazingly going to be gone, so I moved it to the 9th. <laughs> so that way they couldn't. I found out when they said they were going to be here at church, and I made sure, well, that's going to be the 9th, and we're going to actually have this little skit for you. Perfect. It worked out. So this is what happens here. God's playing this great banquet, and we're going to do, uh, we're going to have, okay, it's ready to go, and it says in verse 18, here they come, the excuse. First excuse. The first one said, here, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. I, I ask you to see me. So then he's, he needs to go look at the woods in his field. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. <coughs> so he's got to go watch his ox, his little cows, walk across the field. I ask you to excuse me. So these are lame excuses. And another said, my goodness, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. So all these, and people can make an excuse for anything. And what, what Jesus is saying here, these people who were making these excuses, these were the religious leaders. These were the distinguished people who received an invitation. Jesus has come to the Pharisees. He said, hey, look, I'm, the, I'm right here at your Sabbath. I'm in your house. I'm dining with you. And I've presented you as, uh, as the, I'm the Messiah. And here's how you can be saved. And they're just telling reasons why they can't believe Jesus. Why they can't follow him. So look what happens here. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. So the master is God. Then in anger, God gets mad. The master of the house told his servant, Go out into the streets in the alleys of the city and bring, in, bring them all in here, the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. So who these people are, these are the people, like the man with dropsy, these are Jewish folks that the, the religious establishment didn't want to come into Jesus' party, God's party. So now we just go out and find out whoever in the streets there in Jerusalem, they can come in. So sure enough, they came in. God, they, they start getting healed. So then we still have a, a dilemma, dilemma here. Verse 22. Master, and this is how we get in here. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, and there's still room. Do you all know, this is a picture of heaven. God's throwing this huge banquet. We're going to have this incredible party. He's inviting all these folks to be saved. And we're getting all these excuses. <coughs> this morning, you can make any excuse not to be here at church or tonight. Any excuse in the world not to come to Sunday school. And then the folks who came are going to receive a blessing. And God looks around and says, hey, I still have plenty of room at my party. So look what he says. Verse 23. Last two verses we're going to see tonight. Then the master told the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. Now, some of your Bibles, it says the highways and the byways. You're just going to go out and you're going to find any and every single person and you're going to compel them. You're going to make them come in. Meaning, you just bring them into my house. Meaning, this is the Gentiles. Anybody is welcome at the banquet. What we see here from this passage 
is this is the missionary call of God. There should be a passion that we go to not just those that told us no. We go to the lame and they, there's room for them. And then we say, we're just going to go every single country. And we're going to compel them, meaning we're going to do whatever it takes, whatever angle to get folks to hear the gospel. And then in verse 24, it says, For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Those who reject Jesus Christ, those who give lame excuses to why they can't come and hear the good news and hear the gospel, they will not be saved. God will fill His house. He will. God is saying here, He's going he's to do a great thing, and you're either going to be a part of it or you're not. Last thing. Seven life events. This is your takeaway for tonight in your bulletin insert. God brings people in our lives all the time. And usually when major change occurs in your life is when they're going to be open to a gospel invitation. Number one, a death of someone close. Number two, divorce. From my experience, those two things are great openings to folks getting saved. <clears throat> Sherry and I knew this man in Moreland, Georgia. I'm not going to say his last name because he's still alive. Russell. We moved there, and his wife was named Shirley. In 2005, we show up in this little town. Russell and Shirley, um, they, well, Russell, I'd never even met the man. Shirley came to church every single time the doors were open, and she sang in the choir. We did the little, uh, church pictorial directory, Shirley was in charge of it. She was someone who was very faithful. Her husband was not saved. He was on the salvation section there of the uh, prayer list. We prayed for Russell. Um, I, uh, I did go by her. I met him one time at his house. He was a, he was a veteran from the Air Force. Fine, fine gentleman. He was retired. But he just he wasn't interested in coming to church. I had not been there about a year, and it was at 3.20 in the morning. Our phone rang. Russell was at Noonan Hospital. Shirley died abruptly in the middle of the night. I went, and I went there. The, the chaplain of the hospital called me at 3.30, 3.20 in the morning. I wake up put some contacts or glasses on, and go up to the hospital. Get there about 3.45. I walk into the little counseling room there off to the side. This man, they had been married 50 years. He was an older guy. He'd fallen apart, literally. Just, I mean, just be, he, I mean, it's a pitiful situation. Just lost his wife unexpectedly. She had a heart attack. And I did the funeral, ministered to him. Uh, he was very kind. <clears throat> Do you know that next Sunday? Do you know what happened? I looked out, they had 11 o'clock worship service, and sure enough, on the back pew, you know, premium seats back there, first time I'd ever seen him in church. That man still attends church, that church today. Faithful friend, every single Sunday. He got saved, got baptized, trusted in the Lord, rededicated his life, it was because of the death of his spouse. And he told me, he says, Daniel, I don't know. I don't know what, where I would go if I died. Listen, if you know of someone that has experienced the death of a close person, that is a gospel opportunity. 
That is a major life change. You can invite them to church. You can tell them the good news of Jesus. You can tell them how to be saved. That's the number one thing there, the death of someone close, because people are forced to think about eternity. Number two, divorce. That's the second one. When someone gets divorced, Paul Chitwood is a perfect example of that. Five years old, he was, and his daddy had just gotten divorced, and he was open to a gospel invitation. That's the story I told this morning. I'm not going to go through the list, but I wanted to bring those. You can read them for yourself. But you think about when someone close to you has a major life event, could it be that God has placed you in their life for the very purpose to compel them to come in? Listen, the Bible says, Broadway, go out on the highways and the hedges and make them, compel them to come in. The highways and hedges, you just go out and find folks. And you tell them about Jesus because he wants his house full. There's people all around us who are in pain, they're hurting, they're living a life of disappointment, and, but they're just waiting for someone to tell them about Jesus. God, I thank you for your word. I pray tonight as we have our invitation. Lord, speak to our hearts, open up our eyes, and see that you want your house filled. Lord, you're playing a great banquet in heaven, and you want your people to be there. God, I pray this invitation. Whatever you've placed in our life, in our hearts, I pray that we respond to that this evening. Lord, we just pray that we will see the, your plan in all of pain and suffering and heartbreak around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have our hymn of invitation. We close every worship service with an invitational song, an opportunity for you to respond. I'll be standing out front. I'm going to invite everyone to stand. David Dale's going to lead us in our song. Let's stand together and sing. We'll sing, I have decided I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Thank you, David. Thank you so much. <clears throat> We're about to have a business meeting that starts in a couple minutes. You should have eight handouts. We love to save trees here. If you do not have your handouts, back here on the very back pew here in the far back right corner, run back there before we get started and make sure you grab, um, grab your handouts and we'll get started here in a few minutes. Good seeing you. Amen, it is.